Welcome back to Ascent Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in John chapter 20. It reads, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up by the place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet to ascend to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. For today's nugget of truth, we're going to focus here on the interaction between Jesus and Thomas in this passage. But we're going to kind of come at it from a different angle than you might be thinking. Because what I want us to look at is the fact that this is the only time that this situation is mentioned here in the scriptures. So why is it that John would now add this passage into his account of the gospel? When we look at Luke's account, it generically talks about the way in which Jesus appeared to his disciples. He did show them his hands and his feet and himself to display that he was truly resurrected. But Jesus and Thomas here is unique to John's account. And so when we look back and think that John is writing this much later, we understand that there's probably some unbelief that is being portrayed somewhere in the vicinity of the gospel. And so it could be that people are starting to question whether or not Jesus had truly raised from the dead. Because remember, much later, he's raised from the dead, and then he's going to ascend into heaven, so he's no longer on earth. So the 
risk is that people could say, hey, he never really raised from the dead. He was never risen. That didn't really take place. Either he died or he is still alive, but it's not one of these things that takes place with this miraculous resurrection. And so he wants us to center in on the true lack of belief of Thomas and the true doubt that takes place of Thomas so that we understand that Thomas's doubt is turned to belief by the physical appearance of Jesus. And so he wants to give us a specific account that we can place our faith in, understanding that one who had high doubts of whether this had actually taken place, he was very much faithful to Jesus through his time, but was pessimistic about what had happened, and he did not believe that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. And so he wanted to make sure he wasn't being swindled by the other disciples, let alone that other Others would come and try to do the same thing. So John records this event for us so that our faith can be placed in that. We get that picture here, especially in verse 29, where it says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So other people had not yet seen Jesus risen, and yet they had believed the account that had been told them. And we have not seen that risen Jesus and have the opportunity to, by faith, trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about John and his purpose to writing, we see that that's a big facet of what he's trying to do. He told us that in verse 31 as well, it says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's his whole purpose for this book. And so he adds this as a situation for us to understand that this is a period where doubt was high. People were making up rumors that Jesus had not yet risen from the dead, that his disciples tried to steal him. Even in this passage, Mary Magdalene says, hey, if you've stolen him, just tell us where you put him. Can we have his body back? There's lots of things going on in this situation. So he gives us Thomas is a case study of unbelief being transformed into belief by an appearance of the resurrected Jesus. And so that gives us great confidence in what's taken place because we know that he was not willing to be swindled by anything. He wanted true proof of the resurrection. He wanted to see that with his own eyes. He did not want to trust anything else that was going around in the area because he knew who Jesus was. And he knew he had the ability to say, yes, indeed, this is the resurrected Christ, the one whom I've been following, the one who I have placed my life and my faith in and who I choose to continue to follow from that point. But he needed that assurance. And that assurance is then offered to us by our ability to put our faith in the account that we read here in the scriptures. As far as a question from this chapter, I'd like for us to focus in on the last two verses. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have to wrestle with the truth that Jesus did many things that were not written in these scriptures. By that, I mean that there are truthful events that took place in history that none of the gospel writers have written about. In fact, when we look forward into some of the other scriptures, we'll see that there are going to be times where we attribute phrases to Jesus that are not written here in these sections of the scriptures. And so what we have to understand is that there were things that took place that were not recorded, that are factual events, and they might be written down somewhere else that's outside the scriptures, and it could be something that people say is genuine and true. And so how do we wrestle with the fact that part of Jesus's ministry could have been recorded in another 
place and could be something that could be out there floating around that we might come into contact later with. And so we deal with this when we talk about some of what are called the false gospels or some of the pseudo-gospels that take place. There's things like the Gospel of Thomas, who we've talked about today. There's also something called the Gospel of Judas or these other accounts that in some ways fill in the white spaces between our scriptures. What I mean by that is they fill in the gaps between stories that we have. We've already talked about the fact that from Jesus's uh, early childhood until a teenager, we have very little that goes on, and then we have another large gap until his earthly ministry in the main three years that take place. But even here in the Gospel of John, from chapter 12 on is really the last week of his life. And so the majority of what's written is written truly about a small period of time in his life. So people are curious about the things that took place at other times, and often that would lead them to write somewhat fanciful tales about what takes place. And so we need to understand that the authority of Scripture is possessed than the 66 books that we have. This is the story that God has seen fit to preserve, that the church has tested and refined and seen to be truly from him. And so the different processes that took place to bring these scriptures together, to add them to the Old Testament scriptures, and to solidify that as the scriptures that we're to learn from was intentional because it took out some of these other things that were circulated at the time that they saw were not necessarily a part of what God had truly been doing. And so there's always the question, what happens if we find something else from that time? What happens if we find something like the Qumran Scrolls or something around there that says, hey, this is a historical event that happened that adds to what Jesus had told us in his story or it further adds elements of what had taken place? What should we do with something like that? Now, honestly, that was something that I really had to wrestle through when I was studying in seminary to understand that, hey, we could find something that could be historically dated to the time shortly after Christ. Christ, but that would still not be at the level of authority of the scriptures because the Holy Spirit had not guided the process of the early church validating them, nor had God in his providence seen it fit for those to be included in that time. And so we have to understand that there could be historical accounts that talk about real things that took place at the time of Jesus, but these are not elevated to the importance in the level that our scriptures are. And so in the 66 books that we have, we have all that we need for life and godliness. John tells us that he wrote this account so that we could believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we could have true life in him. And so there are many other things that took place that we don't know, nor do we really need to know about Jesus's life. And so that doesn't keep us from studying or looking in or examining the scriptures to understand them in a better sense, but it does keep us from looking for other accounts or other things that have to fill in the white spaces. If we truly have hearts of faith and desire to see the way in which God has revealed himself to us through his scriptures, through his word, through the instruction that it comes with, then we're able to have all that we need in order to live our lives in faith and in a response to the way in which he's revealed himself to us. And so we don't need to look for these other things. We don't need to look for the false gospels or other accounts that are written or other pseudepigraphal or apocryphal scriptures that are out there. We don't base our faith upon the teachings of those. We base them instead upon the scriptures that are recorded in the 66 books that we have. And so that might be a question that you've had, that you've thought through, hey, what happens if we find these other things? I know it was something that I really wrestled with, and this text speaks to the validity of what we have and what we need to know and understand. Uh, And maybe that's the part of the path that you're on in this journey that you're on right now.
now, or maybe you had another question from this text. There's many other things that you could ask about the way in which it's recorded here and the differences between the other scriptures, whatever that is. Find the answers to the questions that you have about the scriptures using the tools or other sources in your life so that you can grow in your understanding daily of how God is growing you and molding and shaping you to be the man or woman he desires you to be for his kingdom and for his glory. Know today you are loved. You're